not created by marketing in order to sell more, uh, but by the intensity and the inspiration of the designers we are working with. Because you see, we consider design as a, as a new creative discipline with a matrix which is clearly poetic and artistic. Artistic and poetic matrix guide design and so guide us. For that reason, the, when I mean the search for truth, is uh, trying to offer customers the true uh, results of the inspiration of the authors we are working with. Hi, I'm Dan Rubenstein, and this is The Grand Tourist. I've been a design journalist for nearly 20 years, and this is my personalized guided tour through the worlds of fashion, art, architecture, food, and travel, all the elements of a well-lived life. And who knows more about that well-lived life than Italians? Step into any Italian home from Milan to Palermo, rummage through the kitchen, and you'll probably find one, two, or many more products from one of the most iconic design brands in the world, Alessi. Known for their tabletop, small appliances, serveware, and especially all things tea and coffee related, Alessi is a powerhouse that has worked with nearly every great designer of the 20th century and beyond, including Philippe Stark, David Chipperfield, Michael Graves, Richard Sapper, Zaha Hadid, the list goes on. Today, it even includes the likes of the late fashion designer Virgil Abloh. More on that later. My guest today has been pivotal to the very definition of Italian design and global design culture. Alberto Alessi, president of his family's company. Alessi was founded in the 1920s by Alberto's grandfather, Giovanni, and Alberto himself joined the company in 1970. He brought with him a radical vision for his company that included taking a page from the world of furniture. He brought in outside designers and artists to collaborate on products that elevate everyday objects into icons that sell decade after decade. Even this grand tourist can't go one morning without his coffee brewed on an Alessi stovetop espresso maker by Alessandro Mendini. And if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you've owned a Michael Graves teapot at some point in your life. Recently celebrating its 100th birthday with new products and special editions, Alessi is still going strong. To me, when it comes to Alberto, he's one of those pillars of industrial design culture that isn't afraid to make a statement and combine art, design, craftsmanship, and industrial know-how in a way that's greater than the sum of its parts. I caught up with Alberto from his headquarters in the north of Italy, not far from Lake Como, to talk about the greats that he's worked with, some insights into Virgil Abloh's recently introduced and truly industrial-looking cutlery, think a cross between nuts and bolts and a tool you might find in an auto shop, but super chic, and how the man himself takes his coffee in the morning. So you were, you were born in Arona, which is a town on, on Lago Maggiore, but until you graduated from law school, I, I don't really know much about your early life. So I'm curious what uh, Alberto Alessi was like as a young man, uh, as a teenager. 13 years old, Alberto Alessi. Ah, okay. I guess I was, uh, when I was 13 years old, I guess I was, uh, say, introverted. I was liking the Italian poets and reading with passion Italian poets of the beginning 900 and uh, no girls around. <laughs> no? Why, that's, why not? You're that's all. Sorry. <laughs> you were a little bit shy, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> and when you were growing up, did your parents, with uh, because you had, you know, you had other siblings, um, was it always assumed that you would be 
uh, you know, taking over the company and, and running things? Or did you, what was that like? Yes, you know, I was the first of my generation, the first kid. And so in a way, it was normal for me to accept that I should be into the company at a certain time. So it was, I was never asked, should I like or not? It was like written somewhere in the history of my future. I mean, uh, of course, you know, your your company's history is, is sort of uh, dominated with the men in the family. Um, but before we kind of sp- speak about them, I was wondering about uh, your mother raising you and, and being in such a family of design and, and what she was like and, and how she kind of, you know, what, what, what sort of values did she sort of instill in you? Well, okay, my mother actually, uh, first of all, we never had a woman into the company direction in Alessi, never. Wow. Uh, then, I, I may be sorry, but it was that's the, the story. Then my sure. mother, my mother was, uh, by the way, she was, she was coming from another entrepreneurial family, the Bialetti company. Her uh, father, Alfonso Bialetti, was the inventor and the designer and the first producer of the, of the octagonal aluminum coffee maker. But uh, apart that, she was not at all involved into any kind of business. Ah, okay. But did she at least have, I guess she had an appreciation for the business coming from that family, no? Yes, but uh, there was a clear separation between the sexes, I may admit. I'm I'm sure. Um, And so why law school? Why did you you go study law? Well, that's a bit bit intriguing because I actually was much more interested into arts or uh, architecture. Then my father wanted me to study business, economy, which was really opposite to my feelings. And so at the end, we came into law, considering, at least from the Italian point of view, a kind of humanistic business business area. So a compromise. It was a clearly a compromise. And when you joined the, the company after school and you sort of joined the family business, how would you describe the sort of design philosophy of Alessi at that time, back then? Well, maybe design philosophy is, uh, uh, is, a excessive, is an excessive word. But uh, <laughs> I can say, what may I say? What may I say? The atmosphere. The atmosphere in Alessi, mm-hmm. when I started working in Alessi, end of the 60s, was... Uh, I may describe it as gray like raw steel. The smell was uh, dominated by the machine oil smell. The attitude, the attitude was uh, quick and well done. And the ideals, the ideals uh, maybe I can describe as uh, make a good product and make some money of it. So did you, when you were there, did you feel that it was a very you know, conservative. Uh, <laughs> in in a way, looking from my side, at least it was a bit conservative. Maybe looking with other eyes, uh, not that, but sure. And what was the best-selling product at the time when you were joining the company? Uh, the best sellers were still uh, well. By the way, the cocktail shaker designed in 1957 by Luigi Massoni and Carlo Mazzari was one of the bestsellers of the period. 
it was a, it, it is it is a still in production today and uh, it is one it was one of the best sellers of Alessi. and you were sort of one of the pioneers of this sort of concept of working with outside designers like uh, Mendini and and Sotsas. can you can you tell me you know how did that happen how did you go from joining uh, your family business where maybe the guys working in the machines you know, wanted everything to be super simple and 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 you know very business like. How did that? How did that story begin? Where you uh, started to inject this kind of artist and designer friendly atmosphere to the company? Uh, yes. Um, well, first I have to say that I was actually not a true pioneer because this was common habit of Italian design factories since the 50s, since early 50s. So I didn't invent anything in this area. Then, uh, and then it was a success. Uh, yes, I had to fight a little bit. I may say about for 15 years from 1970 to 1985, there was a fight, gentle but fight with my father and my uncle because I insisted in pushing harder my designers, the new designers I was asking to collaborate with Alessi, and they were, okay, um, a bit resistant to that. But at the end, it went, it went slowly and it went well. Do you remember the, first, do you remember the day you met uh, Ettore Sotsas? Very well. Ah, what was that like? Uh, Ettore was actually the very first, uh, let's say, important designer I met uh, in 1970. Uh, precisely 1970. He was brought to Alessi by a friend uh, of mine who was an architect uh, with the purpose of organizing a collaboration. He was very, he was, he was agreeing very, very well to collaborate with Alessi. And uh, how did they came to Alessi? First of all, Sotsas. Then from Sotsas, I asked him to suggest me some names of other designers able to collaborate with us. And Sotsas gave me the name of Richard Sapper, telling me, okay, Richard is doing a completely different kind of design from what I'm doing personally, but I admire him. He never made a mistake in his career in terms of projects. And so I went to, to Sapper. Then another suggestion from Ettore Sotsas was about Alessandro Mendini. And, and so I started middle 70s to collaborate with Alessandro Mendini. And then from Mendini, I went to, he suggested me to contact Achille Castiglioni. It all went like that, from suggestions to suggestions. I may say that my old, the people I consider my old maestros, uh, mm. they have been always very generous of suggestions to me. And when it comes to uh, Ettore Sotsas, I'm curious because, you know, for my generation, we only have uh, his objects, right? We only know him from his objects and from his pieces, and we don't know him as necessarily as a person. What was what was he like to you know if you had dinner with Ettore Sotsas what was that what was he like at dinner, like as a person? Well, he was a very elegant man, very sympathetic, funny, 
able to be funny, a good uh, good uh, companion to the table because he was liking very much eating and drinking. He was liking a lot drinking, and he was. Uh, I may say I'm very grateful to have met him so early because uh, he was always uh, telling me some very interesting story or comments or notes about his view on design, or better to say his view on the world in general, because Ettore was a kind of, of little philosopher, if I may say so. Hmm. What would you say his philosophy was? What was he trying to instill in you, you know, back then? Well, for example, once he told me, I will, I will always remember, he told me, remember, uh, to the young Alberto, remember that uh, you have a strong responsibility as a businessman because with your activity, you fill the world with millions, millions, thousands of millions of objects, of things that in a way or another will influence the life of people. So never forget that you, even if you are a businessman and apparently only looking to business and to make money, actually you have a strong social responsibility and in a way, cultural responsibility. Before we return to Alberto Alessi, a word from our sponsor, Lumens. We're living in a golden age of design where architects, interior designers, and aesthetes have access to nearly every brand in the world. As this magazine veteran knows all too well, a trusted source is essential to any successful design story. That's where Lumens comes in. As a preeminent destination for grand tourist-worthy lighting, furniture, and accessories, Lumens carries designs from more than 350 global brands. With in-house service and account specialists that are your personal connection to good design, Lumens curates authentic designs that run the gamut from iconic pieces to of-the-moment exclusives by designers fans of this podcast will certainly recognize, like Piero Lissoni, Philippe Stark, and Patrizia Urquiola. If you're inspired by the story of Alberto Alessi, then you're in luck. At Lumens.com, you can find hundreds of authentic design icons from this Italian brand. Perhaps you'll fall in love with their small appliances like the Plisse electric kettle or toaster, or some delightfully ornate flatware by Marcel Wanders. Looking for the perfect gift? You can't really go awry with a stovetop espresso maker like the Pulcina by Michele De Lucchi, or just the classic mocha by Alessandro Mendini. May these beautifully designed totems provide you with years of heart-pounding, caffeinated joy. To spoil yourself or someone you love, visit Lumens.com to find the perfect Alessi icon for your own kitchen or dining table. And when it, when it comes to someone like Alessandro Mendini, uh, what, w- what was his personality like? I mean, we lost him a few years ago, unfortunately, but... Um, Back then, as a younger man, what was he he sort of like to to work with? Well, Alessandro was uh, probably the most influence uh, the most influencing personality I worked with, because he not only designed objects for Alessi, but he worked as a histor of official historian of the company. He wrote the first book on the history of Alessi in 1979 called Paesaggio Casalingo. He was uh, the responsible of some meta-projects, I mean of some design researches that we organized over the time 
um, inviting several architects, not having done any industrial design before, only architecture, and uh, inviting them to design some uh, some housewares for us. And uh, he was the companion of the most risky uh, uh, projects. For example, the Alesso phone. The Alesso phone was uh, a kind of new, newly designed saxophone. Mm. Uh, and uh, what else? Uh, and then I have also to say that Alessandro was very proud of the fact that he was considered a designer designing things that actually do not sell. <laughs> meaning that's that's a problem no not, not at all for him meaning that uh, he was too sophisticated for normal people for normal customers taste what's very true what it was very true except that in 1994 with my help he did the mistake of his life creating energy energy is a corkscrew that's also the caricature of his uh, younger girlfriend of the period, who was also, who is also a designer, Anna Gili. And uh, this Anna G. Costco became one of Alessio's bestsellers, be very popular. Mm. But I repeat, it was a mistake from his side. <laughs> uh, did he regret it? Did he regret that, that you know, in the end, uh, as a corkscrew, there was this must, uh... Not at the end. <laughs> I'm sure after after maybe some royalty checks, I'm mm -hmm, sure he, mm -hmm. he didn't mind too much. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm also curious because reading about the company, uh, you know, some of working with some of these designers, um, you also worked with some artists like helping them do multiples and stuff. And I was wondering if you could. You know, tell me a little bit more. I I heard that you worked at at some point with uh, Salvador Dali, and what was that? Can you tell me that story? Well, it was at the very beginning of my career when I started in Alessi. I mean, officially, sure. In July 1970, I immediately felt these uh, these uh, two gray atmosphere within the company. So I started to bring some fun. One of the ideas. I had uh, was to use our machines, the production presses, instead of making uh, trays or wine coolers or coffee makers, to produce instead real art pieces. I mean art multiples. I mean objects with no function at all, only like sculptures, and produce instead of by hands, by the directly by the author produced by machine in an unlimited number of pieces. And so it was the period where also in uh, design critics, in design history, uh, they were uh, talking about multiplied arts, art multiples. And uh, I asked Gio Pomodoro, Carmelo Cappello, Pietro Consaga, Andrea Cascella, Dusan Germania, Yugoslavia, to create a sculpture in order to be produced by my machines. I also, at the end, asked Salvador Dali. But since the operation, who, that was called, the name was Alessi Dapre. This operation of Alessi Dapre was introduced in 1971 with the first two art multiples. And, uh, and in a few months, immediately, it was clear that it was a big fiasco. 
I mean, people, people, Castro didn't Why? Uh, didn't accept the idea of having an art piece to the level of a tray or to the level of a wine cooler, and so, and so, my poor idea of art multiples was stopped by my father. So that uh, I also had and paid for Salvador Dali for an art multiple for Alessi. His uh, project was called uh, Objet Inutile, Vase sur un problème de typologie négative. And uh, I can show you the picture of uh, this uh, drawing, but at the end it was made by a big comb, and to each tooth of the comb was welded a big, a very big um, hook for the fish to the salmon. So it was also a, a bit dangerous to handle this. Uh, this uh, <coughs> should have been very difficult to handle. But at the end, as I told you, my father stopped me to continue with this project. But he couldn't, he didn't succeed in stopping me before I bought around 50,000 of these hooks okay. for the fish to the salmon for the first uh, series of 1,000 multiples because uh, each multiple was needing uh, 50, 50 hooks. And so. And did you did you sell them? Did you sell the thousand? No, we still keep in our warehouse. Really, you have all yeah. of them. Yeah. Oh wow! All, almost all of them. Oh my after gosh. after Dali, <laughs> no one of the designers I asked was able to find a new way to use to reuse the, the hooks. <laughs> That's and was that before you kind of met Sotsas and started to do these kinds of designs? It was uh, slightly before and contemporary too. Ah, okay. And did you think that? Uh, working with such artists like Dali kind of, you know, helped train you to work with these new designers and of the time that were a little bit more, you know, that were a little bit more radical. Like it wasn't a wasted effort. If you look back on it, I mean, you, you've, you've made a career be working with some of the most talented people in the world. So, um, you know, if you could, if you can, if you can work with Salvador Dali and and, and other artists, I mean, I'm sure that it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe financially, it wasn't a good idea. It wasn't, but um, surely financially, it wasn't. From the other side, I don't know. I didn't under. I do not understand even today because at the end, the work with pure artists in design has a little to do, in my opinion. A pure artist has to do his work, his job, and not to do industrial design. Ex with some exceptions, of course. So I would not repeat it. And I'm, you know, coming from that age was uh, the kettle from uh, Michael Graves, you know, an American designer and one of your best sellers. Can you, how did that, how did that come to be? How did you meet Michael Graves and, and how did that, how did that sort of um, icon come to be? So okay, okay. Michael Graves. Uh, Michael Graves came from the res design research called Tea and Coffee Piazza. The operation was presented in 1983, and uh, it was the first, uh, I can say, the first Italian design operation concerning outside designers, not only de non not Italian designers, not necessarily Italian designers. I may say that uh, it was important for the development of Italian design because um, if you consider our history, our design history, until all seven designer de Italian design was uh, marked, was characterized by two elements. One, the first to be produced in Italy by an Italian company, 
and the second to be designed by an Italian designer or architect. I may remember you that design, in Italy design is a son of architecture, clearly a son of architecture. With the tea and coffee piazza, we decided to open the, 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 the story and to offer to collaborate with Italian company, also foreign designers, or mainly uh, foreign architects. And uh, after it, at the end, if you look to the Italian design at the end of the 80s, it was different, this picture, because uh, maybe majority or at least 50% of the project during the 80s were not anymore designed by Italian designers. But still, I insist, still being part of the Italian design spirit. And what was the that piazza, that coffee and tea piazza? What was that? Was it an exhibition? Or? It was a research when we asked, we invited 13 architects, pure architects, meaning that they had no uh, design experience before. Young architects, generally speaking, the older was above Venturi, close, close to 50. And uh, we asked to them to design with a lot of freedom a tea and coffee set, which is the center, a focus of an Italian design uh, hollowware, houseware uh, company. And uh, leaving them a lot of freedom. The, the purpose was not exactly to, de they de we, asked, we were asking to design them to, we're asking them to design something for production. Actually, the production was at the end made by hand in a limited edition of 99 pieces and mainly in silver, in solid silver. The main purpose was to understand whom, maybe between these 13, was also interested and interesting to design something for the industrial production. And so, actually, at the end of this research, we understood, we discovered, I may say, two of them, Aldo Rossi and Michael Graves, being also potentially very great industrial designers. In particular, Michael Graves uh, was impressing to me because he has the idea, he had the idea to develop himself uh, a new kind of American design, very typically American design. And in the 90s, uh, when you started to work with materials outside of you know, steel and the traditional things that you, the company had done, um, can you tell me a little bit about how that shift happened and was it, you know, what that experience is like for you? Was it, was it difficult? Because the 90s, I, the 90s is something that we kind of, sometimes we skip over. <laughs> like when we, when we think about the history of design sometimes. And I was curious if you could tell me a little bit about that that time for the company. Well, if that's what you ask, uh, it was not the, the open the opening of a issue to very different materials and production techniques was not the result of a deep strategic thinking. Not that. On the contrary, simply it has happened that because designers we were working with, mainly new young Italian designers at the beginning of the 90s, they felt too limited by the technology of cold forming metas, which is a very limiting technology in order if you want to express, let's say, difficult three-dimensional shape. And so step by step, they convinced us to open outdoors, not only to young designers, but also to new techniques. 
in particular to plastic, and also later on to porcelain, to glass, to electronics, but mainly to plastic. And was it, was it, did you find that difficult as someone who was raised in a family of, uh, of steel and, and this sort of tradition, was that difficult to, to kind of work in these new materials or did you enjoy it? I made it, uh, very naturally, without thinking too much. It was uh, like a spontaneous process of development that brought me to that. Maybe should I do it today, I would be more conscious, more concerned. Because still, we are we continue to be metallurgists or metallomaniac. I don't know how to call it. Metallist, metallist, yes. I mean, there there is a period of uh, Italian design now of a lot of, a lot of these post-war companies being, you know, taken over by... <laughs> by uh, you know investment funds and people looking just to sell more, right? To 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 increase profits more than anything else. Do you feel? Do you? What do you think about that? What do you think about this new era of uh, sort of the Italian design movement that you described earlier? I I confess I am concerned, but uh, what can I do? I'm trying to to fight with my own uh, forces, so. That the true, the true deep spirit of Italian design companies, design, Italian design factories, could step by step disappear in front of the marketing strategies. Before we return to Alberto Alessi, a word from our sponsor, Fort Street Studio. Fort Street Studio's sumptuous carpets are expertly hand knotted and executed in nuanced color combinations that are the signature of the studio's painterly designs, which originate from watercolor art. With a catalog of over 150 original designs, the brand offers a broad range of options for interior designers to fit any project's needs. Each carpet is customizable in size, shape, and color, as large as 20 feet wide or over 40 feet long for both area rug applications or wall-to-wall. And the company's in-house art studio can scale motifs and repeats to maintain the spirit of each design to adapt to any furniture plan. To create your own bespoke masterpiece carpet, visit fortstreetstudio.com. And and one of the products for your 100th anniversary was the sort of so-called occasional object by the late Virgil Abloh. Um, can you describe the project uh, to those listening and and share what that creative project process was like with Virgil? Yeah, the the the, the collaboration with Virgil Abloh was an example of the, of the of trying to be to be open to new sensitivities of the people. And uh, I may say, first of all, that I have no partic- particular interest into fashion. I'm not, fas- I'm not fascinated at all by fashion industry. It's far from what, I, what I'm practicing in design. So I look to Abloh, as I usually do with other designers I meet and I start collaborating with. Will he be able to interpret our time with new interesting projects? I tried. We tried. We believed in him because I found him a good uh, approach, a good spirit, a good uh, will. And, uh, and now we are in the process of understanding if he was uh, able to un- interpret our times with new projects. Uh, well, with, when, when it comes to Virgil, did he, you know, when you were speaking to him about these projects, of course, 
you know, before he uh, sadly passed away. What, what was his, uh, was he a fan of, Ale- was he a fan of the sort of Alessi, the sort of Italian design? Like, how was he approaching your collaboration? Well, I don't know whether he was a fan or not, but he approached us because, uh, I like that, because he wanted to experience, uh, to try to do real industrial design. You know, he was an architect, so basically with all the tools to try to do industrial design. But what I appreciated in him was the wish to try the challenge of collaborating with the true Italian design factory, designing not only limited edition of fashionable design, but design that could live, that could put a mark in design history in a way. This was his ambition and what I appreciated to, this is why we tried to start together. And what was he, when, with the collaboration, was he, was he a fan of Alessi? Did he know the, did he know the company or did, what was he, uh, because it's, it's the, the, the project is a set of cutlery, right? It's sort of like an industrial. The, the first project was a set of cutlery. The second project we are introducing now is an interpretation of the famous kettle with the singing bird designed by Michael Graves in 1985. And the third project that we will introduce next spring is another cutlery complemented with some table accessories. And and I was curious, you know, you you you've talked about a, a series of principles of good design and 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 one of the things you've often said is, you know, it's bad to have a style. You know, don't 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 have a particular type of style. I'm wondering if you could explain why? What, what does that mean? The reason is probably because uh, since uh, I believe design is a new poetic and artistic discipline, even if devoted to industrial production, so how can we ask or recommend to a poet the language he has to use? He must be free. Or ask to a musician the kind of music he has to play. He has to be free. So for that reason, I focus on the quality of the talent, being he minimalist or maximalist, postmodern or radical, not at all on its so-called style. And how do you think, you know, moving forward, how are you going to, when you meditate on how to improve things and to how to do things differently, uh, what do you need to do differently? Well, I've learned step by step uh, the, my job because it took, my, it took me some decades to to understand exactly or more clearly what is my job. At the end, uh, at the end, I do believe uh, once again that uh, we have to believe into the creation, the free creativity of the designers. Our real job, our real uh, task is to find a real good poet between all thousands of designers we are in contact with. And then uh, all the rest is very clear to develop. And I'm curious, you know, you coming uh, if when I think of Alessi, of course, as many people do, I think of I think of coffee and I think of tea, and I th- especially I think of Italian coffee. I'm curious, how does El- Alberto Alessi take his coffee every morning? Well, of course, I, I'm happy because uh, I'm lucky because I have uh, the full collection of our coffee makers. So according to the mood. I wake up, I can choose the coffee maker. In this very moment, I'm using the Alessandro Mendini coffee maker created around 10 years ago. 
What's what's the name of that one? Mocha Alessi. The name was Mocha Alessi. And <laughs> what mood do you have to be to 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 be into that mood? For the Mendini, I can say well, relatively good mood. What not always happens. And what if you are in a very bad mood? Which which coffee maker do you choose for a bad mood? I guess I would use the conica of Aldo Rossi, the conic shape of Aldo Rossi. Thank you to Alberto and everyone at Carla Auto for making this episode happen. The editor of The Grand Tourist is Stan Hall. To keep this going, please follow me on Instagram at Dan Rubenstein to learn more. And sign up with your email for updates at thegrandtourist.net. And don't forget to follow The Grand Tourist on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. And leave us a rating or comment. Every little bit helps. Till next time. Mm-hmm.